Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Gurus, where every Friday we explore stories of international business and speak with industry leaders operating around the world. I'm your host, Philip Auerbach of Auerbach International. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us for the first time, we start each podcast with a running segment called Faux Pas Fridays, where we explore a funny blooper or a mistranslation that does not quite convey the professional image that your organization wants to project. And since today's guest has done some business in China, our blooper comes from a sign in English near the Great Wall outside of Beijing, which says in English, people, flowers, and help each other in breath. If you pluck the flowers and break the branches, you will reduce your own life at the same time. So exactly the way you'd like your professional translations to read. With that, um, uh, today's guest is Mario Lanzarotti, known as the Freedom Architect. He is a mindset coach focused on helping business owners overcome their fears that are holding them back from becoming rich and making a massive impact in the world. After selling his custom shoe brand, All and Sundry, in 2019, Mario now travels the world on a mission to raise the consciousness of humanity through his workshops that are focused on transformational mindsets. Welcome, Mario. Delighted that you're with us. Philip, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm super excited and I love the story that you just shared. And I can definitely relate to, uh, you know, having done some business in China, that there are big differences in the way that we perceive what is the right way of doing business. Good. Uh, well, perhaps you can start with that or give us a bit of your background and then plunge in and give us some examples of that. Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in, in Germany. My dad is Italian, so I was raised bilingual. And I spent a lot of time in the US. I went to a university there. I also um, spent uh, a lot of time in South Africa, where I went to a boarding school. And um, that really opened me up to the world of international possibilities. And you know, as you said, in 2019, I sold my custom shoe brand, All and Sundry. And uh, when we started started out in New York in 2014, we were first sourcing our shoes, our handmade shoes, in China. And while that has brought us a lot of blessings, it was a really challenging way to get there, and mainly because of the understanding of quality. China is not necessarily known for its approach to making custom approaches to products. They're more, you know, numbers do that, do those in great ways and they have created great success for us. We demanded a lot of attention to detail, you know, and that went from customers seeing, okay, the, the leather is not the same on the heel that it is on the toe. There's slight differences. And, you know, then sending that back to our quality manager and the quality manager pretty much telling us in a nice way, go F yourself, um, that you're asking too much, you're a perfectionist. And we're like, we're selling custom made shoes and make custom shoes. They have to be close to perfect. So you need to understand this. So, you know, there were times where the person that we were dealing with just all of a sudden decided to shut down communication and we were relying on them and we were freaking out. We were like, well, what are we going to do now to the times where you know they, they, uh, 
didn't deliver the shoes because they were unhappy with the way that we were communicating with them. So, you know, I've been through my fair share of experiences with dealing with international uh, clients and suppliers and have learned a lot in the process. Wow. Uh, so did that force you to change suppliers in that case? Ultimately, it did. Yeah. It did. So we we did we ended up looking for two different routes. One was to do the custom route in Italy, uh, where I flew to Italy and I sourced a family-owned business, and they were then making the shoes for us, which went really, really well because they also had a different understanding of what it what it means to serve a client, the end client. The, the mm-hmm. I, I had a feeling the Chinese uh, partners that we were working with they were more interested in the B two B approach, not so much in the end customer one might like and um, we also had another option which was india for a ready-to-wear line of shoes that were coming at a much lower price point and that also turned out to be quite a difficult adventure because you know in asia there is this idea of saving face and um, it's not as direct as it is in, for instance, in America or in Europe, where you tell people straight to the face what the matter is. And so they wouldn't tell us what was happening behind doors because they wanted to save face. And then as it came to delivery, they told us all of a sudden, oh, the one factory that we were supplying the heels from, they shut down. So we can't deliver. And we're like, um, what? <laughs> and that caused us a lot of we lost a lot of money on that i lost a lot of clients and a, a, a lot of um a lot of sleep on it for sure, sure. so <laughs> as you can imagine that was a challenging ride and for all of it i'm very grateful because it taught me so much uh, specifically about what i'm doing today in the mindset realm and how different all of these unique cultures are and how to approach people differently that's fascinating so in india when they you couldn't source the heels. They didn't look for an alternative manufacturer. They just dropped the whole order. Yeah, pretty much. They said, sorry, too bad. <laughs> wow. But you uh-huh. did have the source in Italy. Yeah, they, they weren't able to help with it. So what happened, what ended up happening was this was a Kickstarter campaign and we were collaborating with an NFL professional player. He put his whole name on it and created a whole design for a sneaker. And then the, 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 the soles of the shoes, they weren't matching his designs. And they told us, yeah, we can make it happen. And then on the date where the order was supposed to be shipped out, they told us, oh, sorry, didn't work out. Can't make it. Too bad. <laughs> oh, horrendous <laughs> um, and you're not bald and gray from that experience it's pretty remarkable nope I've uh, that, that's where my personal development journey came in with meditation it helped me to deal with that stress oh, that's amazing wow um, you said some of the difficulties I assume you had some successes as well in that oh yeah and others yeah Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just being able to create a a custom shoe. So we were selling custom shoes at $495 and we started out with $350. And even at the $350 price point, we still had a a decent margin for profit. It It wasn't the best, but 
it allowed us to set foot on the stage where we got noticed by a lot of magazines, by influencers, by, you know, great clients all, all over New York. They were like, how is this possible that you can make $350 handmade custom shoes that really had a great quality? It wasn't like mm. cheap quality. The materials were still shipped from Italy to China and they were making them by hand there. Mm. And they did go above and beyond to make this happen. So we built, you know, really great connections with them. My business partner flew to China. He was able to learn how things work in China and how you need to know the right people to open the right doors. Mm-hmm. It's not so much, you know, just look online and find someone and then place an order and you'll get it, which is more the approach in, in Europe or in the US. In China, it's really about you got to shake the right hands. And that definitely allowed us to establish ourselves in New York as a successful startup and e-commerce brand. So we're very grateful for that. So when your partner went to China the first time, did he know anyone or how did he find these, how did he find the connections? So he did not know anyone. He just knew that Guangzhou is the area to go for manufacturing and like fashion and shoe products. And um, I think he did some online research and then he ended up finding uh, several suppliers and he ended up going to many of them, talking to them. And then he found one specific lady with whom he then developed a relationship. And this lady, you know, that's the one with, with whom we had a lot of ups and downs, you know, bless her soul. And she did the best she could. And yeah, I think at some point you just have to acknowledge that if you want more quality, also in the way that you are interacting with people, you need to be able to invest more. And we did, we did. It was worth it for us because we didn't want to have the stress anymore. Uh, invest more money or invest more time and effort or both? Uh, all of it, all of it. Invest more money, you know, making the shoes in Italy for us was definitely uh, a bit more uh, expensive, um, but also more more of an effort. I had to, you know, I remember flying to Florence, then I, I drove out to several of the factories, uh, met up with the families, eventually we found one of them. And establishing that relationship, it, Italy is very much a traditional country with very traditional values and you know they want you to they want you to show up in person they're not like oh there's this american dude who just opened this this cool sexy brand i don't care about that you know italy's been making shoes for a, a lot longer than than we have and right. so they wanted to see us and they wanted to see that we really mean what we were saying and so i needed to go there i remember even i even brought my father up from sicily who I I'd said, you know, the, if the two of us show up together, it will create more of an image of, of, of trust instead of my Indian partner who doesn't really uh, radiate a fashion brand and a successful entrepreneur that the Italians might trust. And there's a lot of stereotypes that are, you know, clashing together, but it ended up working out well. So we had the factory that ended up making the shoes for us and our clients loved them. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I know you grew up speaking a conversational Italian, but I presume you learned shoe Italian as well. Shoe Italian. I had to. I had to, you know, I taught myself and um, I never went to a school in Italy. Um, but ever since I was a little child, I spoke with my dad and my, my family in Sicily. So I speak fluently. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that uh, doing business in Italian is as easy as it is for me in, in English. Um, but if I really had to, I would find a way. Right. Of course. That's great. Um, 
what are some of the communication differences that you encountered, either in those experiences or others? In, do you mean specifically in, in Italy and in, in China or just in general? Uh, in general, China, Italy, India, um, these countries in which you've done business. That's a good question. So I would say when it comes to America, I find people are very open about how they feel about your products and, and your services. And it was never really for me a question of, is this going to happen or not? I, I felt like I knew it straight from the from the beginning. When it came to China and India, it was often like they might say one thing, but they might might mean a, a whole different thing. And I learned that a lot with my business partner when he dealt with the companies in India, you know, when we would have the first business meetings and we would talk about the shoe lines and the opportunities and the possibilities, they were like super hyped. And then a day later, we got the email. Yeah, no, this is definitely not for us. I'm like, wait, what happened here? Because you, yesterday you were so excited and you were like, this is amazing. And today you're like, no, this is terrible. We definitely don't want to be part of it. So yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was about learning to read between the lines. And it was, it was also about understanding cultural differences, especially because I find that on the Asian side, the, 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 the we is much stronger of a focus compared to in the Western realm, especially in the US, the individual has much more of a focus. So when I was in, when I was speaking to people in China and India, it was a lot more about family values. It was more about making the family proud. It was a lot about, you know, and people were asking me, what do your parents do? Where, where do your parents live? I rarely got, got asked that question in, in, in the US. It was more about my own journey, not so much about what my family does. In the beginning, I was like, wait, why are you asking me about my family? I'm the one doing business with you. What does my father to do with, with you, with you he being here? And even my my business partner, he's he's from India. He's now in the US. He's he's a citizen now. And and he often kept asking me in the beginning about my family background. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, it's like he really wants to know what's the kind of home that I come from. Huh. And, you know, even to this day, I, I saw him a couple of weeks ago. He still asks me about my family, how everyone is. He still remembers every single person. You know, some of them came to meet in, in, in New York over the years. And I find that if you want to do business in these, in these regions, you want to play that card. You want to, you want to, you know, talk about your family. You want to bring in the legacy, maybe that if you are someone that talks about legacy and you want to, you know, want to talk about the legacy of your family and how you are deciding to to move that legacy forward if you're someone that takes a stand for generational wealth these are very important things and they create trust in the in the eye of the other person and i think that's something that is valued very highly that's fascinating i've never heard that before uh, doing business in in asia um mm. because in in asia it's a lot more as you're saying about trust and rapport and uh, building the the confidence with you personally, uh, well, you and your your partner, of course, in your company. Yeah. Um, and the the trust is much more important than a written contract or a written email or agreement. Yes. So yes. the trust will last longer than you know difficulties in production, for example. 
And, 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 and here I can give you another example that's where you just brought up. So when I first came to the US in 2014, I was studying, I was doing an, ex, um, I was doing an overseas semester. And part of that semester was to find an internship for three months. And that's where I found the internship at the company All in Sundry. My partner started it and it was just early out of the shoebox, <laughs> pretty much. And I told them, I said, if I work really hard, would you be open to taking me on board as a co-founder? And he said, you've got balls, young man. Let's see if what you're saying makes any sense. So I, I did, you know, I put in the work and they said, okay, uh, I want you on board as a co-founder. And so we got along so well, we had a almost like a brotherly relationship that he never gave me a formal, formally written contract. Nothing, no agreement. You know, we just, we pretty much just agreed on like a hug and a handshake. And I remember coming back to Germany and my stepfather asking me, it's like, so this sounds super exciting. Like, you know, send me the contract that you guys have just to make sure that you're not getting screwed over. And I'm like, um, yeah, <laughs> sure, I'll send it to you. He asked me once more, like a month later, yeah, you want to send it to me? Like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll email it to you. And I never did because there was no contract. And um, my father stopped asking. And to this day, you know, we've honored the agreement simply through the handshake because there's so much trust between the two of us. But just so you see the difference between someone from India and someone from Germany, like right. it all has to be in order versus I trust you. That's fascinating. It's amazing. Um, one of the other concepts you mentioned is saving face, which is very prominent in Asia. Um, and and Westerners, Americans and Europeans would generally say, um, the person said, said yes, and now he's saying no, and it's totally contradictory. And he's not, he's not telling the truth, or he's not being honest with me. Um, right. And the concept of saving face and, and actually truth telling in Asia um, is not this in, inviolate value that sort of is descended from the Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. uh, but instead what is truth means what's appropriate in the situation. Honesty is what's appropriate in in situation or in that circumstance. Uh, did that? Did you ever encounter that in your? In your uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. That that was the biggest challenge because having a conversation. I remember with our Chinese supplier where we would point out things that need to be improved was always super delicate. You know, she would often mm. respond very defensively, um, sort of criticize our, us back saying, oh, it's because you have too many demands. And we would say, hey, this is not about attacking you. This is about coming together and finding out how can we improve this process. And it was difficult to have these open conversations that were a bit more confrontational because I think it went, went right into this saving face idea. And mm -hmm. we would then point out, say, hey, one of the workers, one of the custom shoe workers, you know, did this, you know, and then was like a like a cut on the leather. And obviously it's it's it those were things that were obvious. You couldn't sell those shoes to clients that paid 500 or 600 dollars For them, it was like, oh, don't point it out because you know mm -hmm. it it's inappropriate, like you say. And for us, it was like, whether it's inappropriate or appropriate, you know, the client is going to ask for a refund. 
And then we end up paying it out of our own pocket and that doesn't work. So those were big confrontational points, which also led us to the decision to say, okay, we need someone who's open to feedback and who's not going to turn around and say, you know what, if, if you, if you keep criticizing me, I'm going to shut down the factory too bad for you. Obviously that's not a way you can do business in a sustainable way. Right. That's fascinating. Um, how did you, how have you transitioned this knowledge to your current business as a mindset coach? So it's interesting because I've, I, I, to this day, I have a lot of Indian clients, like US based. They grew, they grew up most of the, most of the, uh, their life, they grew up in the US, yet they still have a strong focus on the we. And so most of them, the people that I work with are entrepreneurs or business owners. And while they have the strong touch of the American entrepreneurial, let's say, hustle culture, go for what you want, you know, the the American dream. When it comes to confidence and when it comes to being vulnerable, especially within their own families, it's a huge challenge for them because there's so much pressure on their shoulder already because a they went the a traditional path because if you're coming from indian indian background you're either supposed to be a doctor a lawyer or a software engineer at google anything other than that is considered like ultimate failure Mm. and you know i had this specific situation with one of my clients whose fiance's family uh, the mother, she actually told him, you're a disgrace to the family because he decided to quit his law studies. He didn't want to be a lawyer anymore because he's a very successful entrepreneur. He's young and he's doing very well and he loves it. He's great at it. He's mm. a super kind and generous per- uh, person. But for the mother, of, uh, uh, for his mother-in-law, this was like the ultimate disgrace and it caused so much anxiety in him. So guiding people that are coming from these cultural backgrounds for me required having them see me to understand that this is such a strong driver in, in their lives. So it is about, you know, returning them to the eye, to the individual to see that you as an individual are, have inherent worth regardless of what your family might think about your chosen path. Mm. And that's a, that's, that's a big challenge for them. And so, you know, that has taught me a lot to, and it's also taught me a lot just to see that ultimately it doesn't matter what culture you come from. We all want the same things. We all have the same human needs. Right. It's just that we fulfill them in different ways. And there's, there's not really a right or wrong in which way we're doing. And we're just looking for the way that is most appropriate for the individual that comes from different cultures. That too is fascinating. Um, What about when you uh, work with Europeans? Do they Mm -hmm. have a similar mindset? Because also in in Europe, traditionally, not as much now, but say 40 years ago, there was an aversion to entrepreneurship. It was a lot about family business and joining the bureaucracy, but not venturing out on your own because if you unlike in the US if you fail you're considered a failure for life in this country in the US if you fail in a way that's a badge of honor because that means you've learned and you carry on and create a new business learn from your mistakes spot on spot on and you know when we say Europe I speak mostly for Germany because you know I was born and raised in Germany 
And I think when it comes to Germany or, you know, I'm sure we can find other European countries that are very similar. I have always been looked at as someone who is very strange because <laughs> I, I, and especially in Germany, I did the unthinkable. So I was in a pilot. I was, I was on my way to becoming a pilot for Lufthansa. And at the time that I was doing it, that was like becoming an astronaut for NASA in the US. So I was essentially a made man. I had my whole life mapped out. You know, it's ultimate security and it's very, very high pay for someone who doesn't, you know, pursue an executive career as a pilot. You get paid very well and you get you're taken care of. And, and I quit that career. Exactly. Right. And prestige. More than everything, prestige. You know, people look at you thinking like you're some sort of a demigod. Right. And now, while that's not true, not even close to true, uh, I did the unthinkable and I said, you know what? I quit. I, this is not for me anymore. And I had so many people who came to me and said, why? Oh my God, how could you do that? I even, it went this far, Philip, where after that, I went to study in Berlin and just for the sake of it, just for fun, I became an extra at like a, a talent agency. And I was and I was put into some TV shows in Germany just for fun, you know, I just wanted to try, try it out. And one of the shows was on a bigger TV show in Germany and a lot of people recognized me. And then online on Facebook, uh, a friend of mine, forwarded me a thread where they talked about how I, you know, sank so low after having given away my pilot career and how stupid could I be? You know, people would actually talk about me. And it just is proof that in Germany, still today it's changing, but it's still there. It's the it's this follow what the authority tells you to do. Mm. And most of the authority tells you to do is go to school, go to university, then get a get a high paying job stick with that job don't change the job you know do one thing maybe do two things but don't don't you dare become an entrepreneur so for me that's always been a big challenge to you know to to pursue this this individual path and this is why i felt so called to to the us and to this day mm -hmm. i have very few uh, clients from germany very very few because that mindset shift of i am an individual and failing like you say is a badge of honor in germany that's like oh no 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 don't you talk about that that's taboo that's fascinating um so most most of your mindset clients are in the us so yeah also, by far yes okay. um and i know you're you're primarily based in cape town so uh when you're there you, your clients you 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 do it remotely i presume to Europe, which is the same time zone, and then separately to the US. Right? Correct, correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, South Africa is a different story. Um, there is a lot more of an entrepreneurial drive in, in Cape Town establishing itself, especially in the younger generations. And now with, you know, with uh, crypto, web, web 3.0, and all of that fun stuff, there's a lot coming up. And there, what's missing is a lot of the long-term view mm. you know because if you know very well the history of the country you know the the recent shift from apartheid has only been you know like 20 30 years ago that is still sitting in the parents of these young entrepreneurs yes. and there's a sense of entitlement sense of like i've suffered so much 
and ha- and have um, you know experienced so much hardship. Now I deserve to just be given everything. I don't need to do anything for it. And you see that in a lot of the youth. And I've worked with a lot of youth oh. in South Africa, and they get very excited in the beginning, but the consistency and the patience just to wait for something to come come back, maybe only in five to ten years, is very difficult to find. And that's another challenge that I'm encountering now. Are you talking about the the black Indian and colored youth in South Africa, or not the whites? The whites have always been entitled. Have always been. Uh, <laughs> um, mostly black, like the 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 at least my personal experience that I've had. You know, because I ran a mentorship program in South Africa where I mentored up and coming entrepreneurs free of charge and pretty much gave them all of the leadership and mindset training that I went through. And there were some absolutely amazing individuals who've done really, really well. And I've had a few that, you know, just disappeared on me, (laughs) just didn't show up anymore because, you know, this, this, this sense comes, comes in of like, this is taking too much time. I need Mm -hmm. to come back every single week, all the time. Like I want instant gratification. I want it now. And I've seen even I've seen a lot of that even in the business circles and the higher business circles. So those oh. are some of the challenges that I've personally experienced. And you know, maybe I'm the only one. Uh, I'm not saying that that's for everyone. That's fascinating. Um, have you dealt with white South Africans? Do they have the same mentality? Mm, I mean, I have more on a partner level of organizing things together, but I have not experienced that. It was more, more what I've experienced with Black South Africans, and you know, um, I don't pers- I don't personally like to make this a classification of like skin color and whatever. Yeah. Um, it's really what I've experienced, and I think it's it's just a, a lack of mindset training that yeah. that they that there's and then with that is a huge opportunity to empower the nation because there's so many amazing beautiful human beings who have so much so many so much potential and so many great ideas yes absolutely it's a wonderful country of tremendous potential yes um but it does come from the apartheid legacy of yes true what the government did and how they treated people yeah Um, That's fascinating. Um, Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything else that I'd like to add? Um, I guess for for your listeners, um, since this is all about international business, you know, a lot of the U.S. people in the U.S., I mean, someone like you, I'd say you are a rarity because you've traveled so much. It's really what I found has transformed my ability to succeed on different stages all over the world is because I've immersed myself in so many different cultures. And I've really went the a-traditional path and gotten to know people outside of the mainstream, you know, whether that is sitting around the fire in in the Amazon with shamans or with the locals in South Africa, in the townships, you know, it doesn't matter. I think there's a whole world of opportunities and possibilities out there. Once you get over your ego and do things that you are even scared of, you know, and getting and shaking people's hands and looking people's in, people in the eye and listening to their stories. Cause there's so much to, to learn there. And once you do sky's the limit. That's very true. And I'm sure you uncover that in your mindset training as well. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> 
That's superb. Thank you, Mario. That's been a true pleasure gaining your insights and your wisdom and your experiences of so many different uh, world, world business, uh, business ventures. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. It's been a pleasure. So this has been Philip Auerbach. Please join us again next week for another edition of Global Gurus and their stories of international business.